Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Black Expat Experience, a podcast highlighting the lived experiences of Black expats, nomads, travelers, and students around the world. I am Kendall Tyson, your host, licensed psychotherapist, and a fellow Black expat currently living in Beijing. I know I say this every episode, and it's always true. Uh, we have another great episode and guest in store for you today, and I would love to welcome to the show Vanessa Shaw Door. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Dr. Kendall. How are you? I am doing amazing. I'm so glad That's that excellent. you're here. Thanks for having um, me. Yeah. So everybody, we're both in Beijing at the moment. Um, and so I would definitely like to give you an opportunity to give us like your elevator pitch, who you are, you know, what's your thing? What can we learn about you in this interview today? Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you. So thank you again for having me on. This is um, a great format. And I think it's just an excellent topic in terms of, you know, the Black expat experience, how it is to live overseas and how we can get more of us over here and out of the U.S. and experiencing the world. Um, but my name again is Vanessa Shaldor. And um, I would say this is my six and a half year overseas, almost seven years overseas um, in total across two countries within Southeast Asia. And um, I'm in my mid-40s. I'll just give, give it really general that way. Um, and I have two children. I'm a single mother of two, and we've been overseas, all three of us, um, the whole time we've actually lived abroad. Um, I'm, I'm working as a U.S. government employee, and I've been working for the government ever since I started my professional career. First, it was domestically for almost 10 years, and then the last almost seven years um, here overseas. Um, and... Um, I've had a breadth of experiences that have led me to this point. Um, I actually went to an HBCU undergrad, um, grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and then after that went to Hampton University um, in Hampton, Virginia, where I got my BS in biology. And then I um, spent a couple of years working at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, thinking that I wanted to do, do laboratory, you know, bench research, just found it a little bit too disconnected from the community and um, found my way into public health and then went to UCLA to obtain my master's in um, public health and community health sciences and then also an MA, a master of arts in African studies. Wow. Thinking at that point that I would want to work and live abroad. So having that idea really pretty early in my career or my life, but not really figuring out or knowing how to get kind of abroad and professionally. Um, in addition to schooling, I did a couple of internships abroad, which kind of actually really solidified my desire to live and work abroad. Um, in undergrad, while I was at Hampton, I um, uh, lived in Singapore for about three months, where I worked at the National University of Singapore in a laboratory, and that was in my bench research days. Um, and then in grad school, I lived in Asmara, Eritrea, um, in one of the summers uh, during the, the school break. Um, and where I was working on a USAID project uh, uh, prior to uh, finishing graduate school. So those experiences really did solidify my desire, but still could not really figure out the traje trajectory. So um, I worked domestically for almost 10 years. I started in the federal government in 2006 and then, um, uh, you know, just worked my way up. Uh, became first a team lead, or they call it a branch chief, which is like a first line supervisor after a number of years of, of uh, working in the federal government, and then um, continued to do that for a while until uh, my department started a 
it was called the Global Bargaining and Assignment System. And it was kind of like it was made just for me because it was for mid-level professionals who wanted to work abroad but could not, you know, actually figure out the pathway to get there. Um, and so they actually started a pathway. It was a pilot program and they only kept it around for one year. Mm. Um, we did three rounds of interviews, got put on a list as a GBAS candidate, and then um, agencies were able to go to that list to then fill their overseas vacancies. And so um, fortunately for me, um, I was able to uh, get picked from that list. I had an interview for a position as a deputy director um, for a government program um, in Kinshasa, um, Democratic Republic of the Congo. So wow. that was where I was selected to go. Um, however, prior, just prior to getting ready to deploy, um, this was in 2016 at the time, there was an author, it's called an authorized departure was put in place, which really means it's not quite safe for folks to be in country. It's your choice as to whether or not you can want to stay. Um, but what that does is it stops deployments to that particular country while it's in place. And so two days before we were supposed to get everything packed up to leave, oh, wow. they put in this authorized departure in place. And so that kind of put us uh, in a little bit of a bind and in, in a, in a, uh, in a stopping point uh, so we could figure out what was happening. So that authorized departure stayed in place for a couple of months. Um, the one of the individuals working with the program at the time said, well, you know, you're ready to go, you're ready to deploy. There's another opportunity that just opened up and I'm checking with you to see if you would consider it. It's in Hanoi, Vietnam. And I was like, Asia? <laughs> <laughs> and I had never really thought, you know, okay, I would, you know, because, you know, most of the jobs overseas are in um, the continent of Africa, right? And so I won't say all, but the large majority for jobs for in my field in public health, the majority of them are on the African continent. And so I just never had really thought about Asia, but you know, I did a little research and I said, Hanoi seems like a great place. I'm open to really go anywhere. And so off we went. Oh, and that was goodness. February of 2017 when we landed, February 8th, 2017, we landed in Hanoi and it's been on and popping ever since. <laughs> so when I hear you share that very varied and interesting account of how you got started the word that comes to mind for me is exposure like early exposure mm -hmm. um like having that early exposure of one seeing us live abroad right yeah. to being in places where you have opportunities to go abroad study internationally mm -hmm. intern internationally work for multinational corporations or the government and mm -hmm. It really just brings to home for me, one, one of the foundations of the, one of the pillars of why I chose to do this, right, is so other people that are just like wondering, my life feels stagnant. I feel like there's more for me out there, but I don't know what that looks like or how to even get there. And then it's mm -hmm. like, okay, well, watch this podcast and then you'll have all these additional connections of people that are doing the very thing that you might not even know as a possibility for you yeah. somewhere else in the world. Like I never thought China would, Ch China was never on my list. Let's just be right. honest. Right. Um, and while it has its challenges living here, it's also brought about a lot of like professional bounty and relationships. So mm -hmm. when you think about, if you're, if you're talking to parents, you know, students with under the guise of 
exposure, like exposing their kids to things different. I'm wondering what would be a piece of advice that you'd offer? Yeah. My piece of advice would be to, if you have a desire to live and work outside of the U.S. or even just, you know, outside of your state, because I, I want to say that every child is different, right? And so you have to kind of know your children. Yeah. It, it was very, I was very, very um, adamant about not going to school where I grew up. <laughs> and so that was the beginning of it, just kind of knowing that I had no desire to go to school in Ohio where I grew up. Um, not one school in Ohio was appealing to me, even though I visited, visited them. Um, so it kind of just grew from there. And so I would say, you know, really just support as much as possible because it was, it was challenging, right? Because I really wanted to go to Howard. <laughs> Don't tell anyone that. But <laughs> I really wanted Howard to you know, move, yeah, you know, to DC, Atlanta. My mom was like, mm, how about Hampton? You know, this school by the sea looks really safe. So, you know, as much as parents can, definitely foster, you know, what, your child wants to do. The other piece is, as I would say, is, you know, learn early about some of those things that are available. Because I think there's two things um, in particular that are kind of like hidden gems um, of potential exposure that a lot of the, I think what said Black community doesn't know about. One is um, the State Department and the ability to do State Department internships um, while in college. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. So that is something, yes, that is something that a lot of people do not know about um, and can really just open up doors to a, a number of different things. You know, just being able to work professionally in an embassy, being able to actually travel abroad while still in college. Um, exchange programs, I would say, is another one that a lot of people, that's pretty familiar, pretty uh, standard when it comes to being able to, to work abroad and have that, or go to school abroad and have the exposure. But the State Department has summer internships available for high school. And um, so a lot of the expats uh, children that are here within high school can do that starting at age 16. So they can get that exposure, but then also they have that for um, college students as well. Um, you just have to start early because it's a little bit of a clearance process in order to, to, take, to partake of that. The other piece would be Peace Corps. A lot of people do not know about being able to serve in the Peace Corps. Wow. It is volunteer. It is voluntary, but that's after, you know, you finish your, your undergraduate degree. Um, so they have opportunities all across the world. Um, it's a fantastic way to really just learn more about yourself, to get exposed to learning another language um, free, right? Because mm -hmm. you get that full immersion. Not only do you get training prior to placement, then you get full immersion. Um, and then the other thing that a lot of people I would say, which is also related to State Department, are some of the fellowships. So there's the um, there's a couple of fellowships that are actually specific just to minorities. Um, one of them that comes to mind is the Pickering Fellowship, and that would be for um, minorities interested in foreign service um, to then segue into becoming a foreign service officer. So there's a lot of opportunities, I would say, if you have a child that desires to, you know, have these experiences, um, definitely use those tools. But I'm sure there's a number of things that I might be missing. So just, you know, the sky's the limit. Um, continue to network and figure out, you know, discuss with people who are in um, these types of positions, because I'm sure there's other things that I might not even know about. I am so grateful for that. I hope you can kind of, if you, when you have time, like mm -hmm. after, you can share with me some links, I'll put them in the show notes. Um, because just listening to everything that you offered, had I known, I'm thinking about 
right. about me back in college had I known about any of that because I literally yeah. started in business international business international relations was something that I wanted to study and lo and behold look um yeah I yeah. think like sometimes we would be on a faster track to goals that we have if only yes. we are aware of and exposed to the different pathways and opportunity that other people might have, you know, easier access to. Right. Um, right. I'm definitely not a believer in gatekeeping information, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. especially as it helps us collectively be right. yeah. to the different things, you know, enhance our lives, enhance like our generational understanding mm-hmm. and growth so i appreciate that um so whoever's watching you have opportunity <laughs> make sure you don't get yeah. no trouble though because you won't <laughs> that's be very true if you, get in the, if you that, make a decision uh that is very true and that's domestic or abroad that exactly. is any type of like, service that you want to do with the government please make sure that you are filing your taxes on time, that you are not in any type of financial issues. Even when it comes down to your car registration, make sure that it's timely. Yes, please take all of uh, Dr. Kendall's advice on that. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, make yeah. sure all those ducks, you know, are in a row, those checks, you know, are done, all of that stuff. Because uh, I know like working international education, they're going to get an FBI background check. They're going to scrub mm-hmm. everything. Um, and yeah. when I say hope, you know, people are making good decisions, that also leads me to say, I hope that people have good, good choices to yeah. make. We don't right. always have the best choices to make mm-hmm. consider like the environment yeah. that we're in. So I'm just hoping all of those things are aligned for people. Um, but I want to ask you as, as a mom working abroad, you know, doing some very important work, um, breaking barriers and glass ceilings, what has been like one of the most, you know, unforgettable moments of your time um, since you have been working internationally? Yeah, it's, it's, there's so many different things, but I would say, um, one of the things I love to do is continue to, you know, surprise people. Um, so because of how I, pre- I present, um, most people would not guess about what it is that I do, even, even when I'm abroad. So the assumption would be, oh, she's a teacher or yeah. which is not, which is fantastic, of course. But, um, you know, there's always these assumptions. Um, and I would say, even when I was in Eritrea, I remember because, um, you know, phenotypically, even in Eritrea, uh, I present differently than a than a typical person would living in right. Asmara. And so I would often on the street be walking in here, oh, she's from Nigeria or because she's darker mm-hmm. or, you know, <laughs> things of that nature. So I love to continue to surprise people um, that there are those of us out here, um, not only, um, you know, am I a Black American um so, um, you know, I call myself indigenous to America because I do not know which country within Africa I'm from. Right. Um, and so that's number one. Number two, um, that I'm, you know, out here with two children, you know, just, you know, making our way. Um, you know, that's always so surprising and shocking for folks. But number three, I would say one of the most rewarding things has just been uh the ability to be able to, you know, continue to work in the spaces that, you know, I feel I belong in, but then also exposing my children to a life that I had no idea was even possible when I thought that I wanted to live abroad, if that makes sense. So I had no idea how far this journey would take me and them um, and how much it would expose us. And it's just, 
every day as a surprise because, um, you know, my daughter will just be talking with our, our housekeeper, like in full Mandarin. And it's just like, <laughs> Boy, it's hard. That's hard. <laughs> she's just, and she's just so natural at it. And, you know, and it's just, she literally has a second language before, you know, and, and she's not even out of high school yet. And I just find that to be, I mean, I don't, she probably doesn't think that's a big of a, you know, that big of a deal, but for me, and because of the desire I had in my heart to really want to expose them to a different life, to see that fulfilled every day is kind of amazing. I yeah. love that. So on those days when you're sitting and you're wondering, you know, am I doing the right thing? Am I a good mom? Am I, you know, the self-doubt <laughs> creeps in and then the wonderings, you know, what are some things that you kind of recall and, you know, go back to that helps remind you that you are all that and more, that you're... <laughs> How have you grown? Like that demonstrate the growth that you've been able to make as a as a person, as a mother, as a professional, as a as a role model. Yeah. Yeah. And and because those days happen, they happen all of us regardless. I would even, you know, because they happen to me, I can only assume they happen to everybody because we're all human. Just, you know, just thinking, did I make the right decisions? You know, does it, does it make sense for my children to be the onlys? you know, when it comes to maybe their classroom or their school and, you know, is that good for them? But then I think back on, you know, how I wasn't only even in Ohio, right? Because, um, you know, if you're going to school and then you want to take some of the more advanced placement courses, you know, you'll find yourself that a lot of people of um, people of color, the, the students of color have been pigeonholed or streamlined yeah. into, you know, right. tracks that are not even, you know, tapping into any kind of aptitude that they might have. And so exactly. I, I can remember back in high school thinking, I want to be in the AP classes and talking with my mom about how we can talk to the counselor because I want to be in these certain classes. I don't know how I knew that at that age, um, but I just kind of go back to that and thinking, well, I've never really fit myself into a box. I've never really fit. I'm just trying to figure right. out how to get out of whatever box um, seems to have been created for me. And so um, when things get uncomfortable or I feel like, oh, what is really going on with my life at a particular time, I just think about, well, this is my path and this is what makes sense for me. And everything might not be perfect, but it's definitely, um, I think, a pathway that that God has led me to and really um, just, he's still ordering my steps. And so I feel that, um, it, every, even if it doesn't seem like at that time or that day that things are for a reason, everything will work out the way it should. Yes. I second that. I co-sign on that. And I'm just, as I'm listening to you, sounds like we've had some very similar experiences. Like my mom is a retired counselor. So access to that education was never, never like the challenge, but being the only definitely was. And I, and I'm, as I'm listening to you, it, it brings me back to where I grew up in Huntsville, you know, small town in Texas, racially homogenous but the power structure was not and right. it makes me think about access to more rigorous opportunities educationally so being in AP programs and being denied right. the opportunity to be in GT in, in elementary because of a, a perspective of one teacher or not there yeah. not being many of us um, in those particular classes although there were lots of brilliant people who maybe behaved badly or were um, provoked to behave certain ways so they didn't have access to certain things. Right. And, exactly. and it makes me like 
ah, it makes me think like, what what do we do as expats that still have a connection to home, um, mm-hmm. indigenous to you know the states? Because again, mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know where parts yep. of my family come from. Um, like, how do we how do we give back in addition to this? Right, I know that you were on our panel. I want full disclosure, y'all. <laughs> came to my school we had a panel with a student organization that I'm one of the sponsors of student anti-bias anti-racism committee and she laid down the information for the kids um on being I would say a trailblazer in this particular type of arena and we literally are you literally are the personification of like that dream right of representation matters you are representation matters personified i am representation matters at my school personified yeah how do you how do how do you reconcile that on the days that it gets very difficult as a black spaces yeah you know it can be tough but uh i've realized that I kind of like the tough things and that's kind of what keeps me going. It actually kind of fuels my fire, which is probably not a good thing because the more <laughs> challenges that I'm presented, the more I'm just like, oh, I'm going to prove you wrong. And this mm. is what we're about to do. So <laughs> that's probably, that's probably something that, um that really keeps me going, but you know, it can be, it can be challenging because what I've realized is that, you know, some of the more challenging things about living abroad really is not with the host country. I mean, there are some, significant challenges I think with this particular host country yeah Yeah. (laughs) but I would say overall my day-to-day is still interfacing with my country folk right in terms of Americans inside of the U.S. embassy and that's I've worked inside of the U.S. embassy in two locations now um, in addition to working domestically and um, I, it's unfortunate to have to admit to this, but the challenges domestically for people of color working in a professional environment don't go away because we're abroad. In fact, I would say even enhanced, right? Um, because the thinking is, how did you get here? Why are you here? And how can we figure out how to how to send you home? Exactly. I would say that that's a, uh, that's a daily battle. I would say. I'm sorry to um, hear that. I'm I'm mm-hmm. sorry to hear that. I w- it makes me think like the smaller the population, the more concentrated like the expertise mm-hmm. in it. You know, people yeah. thinking, how do you beat out somebody mm-hmm. that I know, and right. not not having the resume receipts and not really understanding. It makes me think about um, I think a case, a situation that's happening in the states right now. So you know, Harvard be in the news for all the wrong things lately. Harvard um, has the new black president and mm. I can't remember her name. And I was reading this yesterday on Twitter where there are people leveling these complaints again about her. Is she the DEI hire? And is she qualified? Not recognizing that she went to one of the best boarding schools in the States. I think she may have even graduated from Harvard if I'm not mistaken, but she has a laundry list of accomplishments. And I'm right. like... How is it? How do we stay sane? I'll just speak for yeah. black folks specifically. How do we stay sane in these environments that continually question mm-hmm. and push and not offer the type of psychological safety that is needed to be able to thrive and do well in our jobs? Like, how do we still mm-hmm. continue to grow and thrive in and make change under these circumstances? 
Yeah, you know, it's best by still being great. Yeah, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm gonna be completely honest. You know, by the time any one of us gets to these spaces, uh, you know, our experience and our abilities, um, you, we already know, and and even those who don't want to admit it, and 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 are there to put us in those positions because. It, the reality is the reality that we are two to three times, if not four or five times more experienced, more qualified, um, and can do that much more of a better job than anyone that we have uh, interviewed with, um, you know, and, and that's just the bottom line. By the time we're able to get into these spaces, we are not only supposed to be there, but we should probably be running the whole room. And that's just, that's just the bottom line. And I keep that, I keep that in my mind. I'm like, you know, um, Whenever I see a sister or a brother in these positions or whenever I see, you know, a, a, a new president at Harvard or even when we come to the new Supreme Court justice, I mean, it's just yeah, like, Sanji. We should have been, first of all, we should have been there. But then <laughs> right. to get there now, we are more than qualified. We are more than qualified. Yeah. It's um, so disheartening to hear all these yeah. firsts still happening yeah. in 2023. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, we're more than yeah. qualified, and you know, to say that it's a day of hire, you know, yeah, the fact that that's even still said is is the reason why diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, and the push toward that is still necessary because, you know, the power structure is unfortunately still very uh, uh, unbalanced. Um, but the thing about it is, is that. What I love about the modern age is that uh, it is no longer, we're no longer able to hide it really. Yeah. Um, it's very, very out in the open. The biases, whether you want to call it unconscious or conscious is, is very blatant. Um, and so it's really kind of hard to hide behind anymore. And so that's kind of where it's, we're at a very, very interesting time, I think, because, um, you know, even before someone says, oh, I think it was a diversity hire, you know you're wrong for saying that because you know it's not true. Mm -hmm. Because I know that plenty of people, whether they were exposed early or late, can think back to the only person of color that they might have been exposed to and know that they were qualified when they were sitting yeah. at that table. Brilliant. Oh. And so, you know, I just say we just have to continue. And 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 in order to kind of keep ourselves sane, you know, we we just got to surround ourselves with our community. Um you know, the numbers are not where they should be when it comes to Department of State. Foreign service officers are still, when it comes to people of color, uh, there's a still a heavy lack of representation. The higher you get up, when you get into the senior foreign service, the numbers are dismal. I want to say 1% mm. or less oh, wow. of senior foreign service. Yes, ma'am. Wow. Are, wow. are people of color? Yes. It's, it's very, it's very, because when you look at the civilian side, you know, the numbers are matching where Department of State is located within the Washington, D.C. District of Columbia civil service numbers, you know, are in line. 13, 14% of, uh, of civil servants uh, in the Department of State are people of color. Then you switch over to foreign service that declines down to, I think it's 5%. Wow. What happened? And then oh, the higher you go, oh. Is that hmm. something we can talk about? <laughs> <laughs> If we can't, that's you know, <laughs> No, we can talk about it because I think that, you know, what's, what I love, you know, um, with this administration, this is the first time that they have actually, I think, made some strides. So um, Ambassador uh, Abercrombie with Stanley was the first diversity inclusion officer that the State Department has hired to really focus in on why is the trajectory toward foreign service um, 
so challenging when it comes to people of color. And it starts from very early, you know, the recruitment, um, yeah. the recruitment efforts, you know, we can say are very focused on middle America to the point where there are portions of our great land that are very heavily recruited for foreign service. And, 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 and it's very well known, wow. very, very known that um, people of certain segments of the U.S. are heavily recruited into foreign service. Yes. And, and a lot of them are in middle America. What is yes. it that they, what, what is it that the people, well, we know affinity bias is definitely one of them. You, you know, you want to bring on people that look like things look, like, yep. you know, live mm -hmm. similar to you. So there's an issue right there. But I'm yeah. I'm curious about what is it about other than the obvious um, that segment of the country that whomever's making the decisions feels like they are more apt and ready as opposed to the coastal or mm -hmm. you know the south. You know what yeah. what is so appealing? I don't understand. Well, when you think about uh the US embassy structure and the desire to maintain diplomatic relations and what you believe that diplomat should then look like. Um I believe that is that controls a lot of how things are uh organized and then orchestrated and then how recruitment process happens. Yeah. I would even say down to when you're actually selected as a foreign service officer um, it's all pretty much based on very interesting, but historical systems that, uh, in the past have not, uh, included people of color. So I'll give an example when, um, you are, uh, brought into the foreign service, you are required to report to duty for your training class at a certain date at a certain time regardless of any other personal matters that might be happening in your life. And I had a friend who recently went through this as a single mom wow. and was just like, you know, if I didn't have any type of any type of family support, I would not be able to do this. So right then we realized this system is set up for men who have spouses that are able to stay at home and manage, you know, if their children manage that, if not manage whatever uh, household logistics are happening in order for them to drop everything and be able to, uh, pick up this career at a moment's notice. So there's one. Wow. The whole system once you're in um, is based on bids. It's based on who you know, who likes you. And uh, when you get placed, it's called a handshake. Now, a lot of these terms that I'm using. Good old boy. <laughs> yes, correct. There you go. Yeah. So the whole system is, is based on, you know, something that we're that's not familiar to us, but it's very real familiar to a certain segment of, of the American population. Right, right. So it's when we have these conversations, people are just like, you know, representation matters and all these things like we know, but the system is normally the issue. Like the pipe, there's not issues with the pipeline. The, the line is broken or Correct. there is no line to- Correct other like there's literally no infrastructure built to bring in these other more diverse richer um more authentic perspectives that's going to be more representative of the country out in the world um i don't even know where to think like you begin to chip away at that particular type of systemic erasure yeah 
Yeah, it's really tough because it's not just even in this field. It's it's if you go across all, all kinds of different fields, it's very very similar. When you look yep. at how professionals are able to break into certain schools, or you know how you're able to get those first jobs, it's all very 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 structured and. Um, and so my goal, um, it has always been, and will always be that when I'm in a position and I've done it here to make hiring decisions, um, uh, to, you know, make those decisions or have influence on who can get what, that I do it in a way that's unbiased. Yeah. Um, because what I have found, um, I've had, I've had the ability to hire, I would say since, um, 2011, um, and I've realized over this, over these number of years, when you are hiring in a way that you're hiring for merit, you're going to get diversity by default. Period. It just happens. Period. Because people are qualified. America is diverse. People have a plethora of experiences. You know, they come to the table, um, and they present their credentials and lo and behold, diversity is there. Diversity is there if you're not selecting against it. Right, if that's and really so, what you want. <laughs> right. I right. mean, because if we think about the statistic of who, which like subgroup of people have the most education in America, it's women that look like us, it's people that look like that's us, correct. right? So if we are basing it solely on merit, like yeah. you said, it's gonna, it can't help but be diverse. Yeah. Um, so then that tells me that there are, and this is even with like international education, right? Yeah. It, I was looking at a post, I was on, um, I'm part of this organization, ALOC, and there was a post that was made and one of it was a job description about, you, we want people with passports from these places, UK, Canada, you know, Australia, et cetera, et cetera US. And mm -hmm. as opposed to focusing on credentials, and aptitude and knowledge and experience you want location um right. and that doesn't necessarily equate to efficient effective you know right. culturally responsive and yeah. i think one of the things i want to ask is kind of goes back to it links but it goes back to something that you said earlier in the conversation what do we do to break out of these societal, um, familial, community-imposed boxes that yeah. we find ourselves in when we know, like we have like this innate desire and know that there's more that feels aligned to us that lays outside the bounds of the boxes that we were mm -hmm. born into? Yeah. Yeah. It's It can be really challenging. Um it can be really challenging. A lot of times it can be isolating. Um, you know, I had my whole family confused when I was like, I, you know, I, I want to live abroad. I want to work abroad. And, you know, I can remember getting on the plane to go to Singapore and my mom, this is in undergrad. And she was just like, why are you doing this? Like, what <laughs> is this? Why do you have to do this? And I was just like, why wouldn't I do this? Right. See you later. <laughs> But, you know, it's just I'm from the airport. Yeah, exactly. And I just I don't know. It's, um, you know, I think that not doing it because I really just think about how we don't know 
you know, for sure, if there's another life. We, in fact, most of us are taught that this is the only life we're going to have. Um, I grew up believing that this is, you get this one life, this is an, this is an experience on the earth that is preparing you for um, um, another realm later on. And this is right. the one experience that you're going to have. Why not take advantage of everything that is offered? Um, and, and it's difficult. It's not to say that that's the easy tra trajectory because it's not. Yeah. Um, um, I, I mean, I have friends in undergrad who, and I just look today, I just marvel at how they, they just became exactly what they wanted to be. I could, I could just remember saying, I don't know what I want to do. But I just feel like I want to be someone important. And when I walk into a room, I just feel like I want to be recognized for what it is that I'm doing. And, and um, I have another friend who said, I want an MD and a PhD. And she has an MD and a PhD. And I have friends that said, I want to be a dentist and they are dentists. I mean, it's just amazing. I think that when you know you have it in you about what it is that you want to do, you owe it to yourself to pursue that the best that you can. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult and it's challenging. Um, but what I think everyone should know is that the gifts that are placed inside of us are there for a reason. Um, and you're, you know, it's, it's not easy, but to ignore them and stuff them down and, and not foster them, you know, you're really just not doing justice to yourself, to the universe, to anyone. Yeah. Um, oh, you don't yeah. kind of allow yourself to expand upon what yeah. it is that's been placed out of you. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. Cause it, it takes me into this next thing I want to ask you. When we think about like our, our families as black people, um, mm -hmm and some of the cultural traditions that we have as a collectivist, more of a collectivist type of culture and how sometimes it can be very challenging to be the outlier, right? Yeah. The one that thinks differently, the one that lives a bit more boldly, the one that asks the questions that might counter um, a narrative that we've been taught, et cetera, et cetera. And as you share, not stuffing down that desire, that dream, that longing for more, right? Mm -hmm. How would you say one can go about making sure this is a this is the mental health part, right? Mm -hmm. Not living in alignment. Like I talk about alignment all the time. Because mm -hmm. as, as somebody that's had these lofty goals, sometimes that fear of, isolation like you said the loneliness the just being different you know not accepting that you just want more out of life how mm. would you you know what would you offer to someone in that space as it comes to really prioritizing as you do this different thing prioritizing your health your wellness your mental your health your mental health your sanity what is that what would you say that looks like or could look like yeah I think it's it's definitely has to grow with you um, it, as it has grown with me. I, I can only really speak for myself, but I would say just from my own experiences, the way that to stay sane are those same things that I adopted when I was living in the U.S., to be honest, because living in the U.S. as a Black person is still kind of dysmorphic, right? Yeah. It's like, it's the land of opportunity, but not quite for you, right? It's like, all these oh, things yeah. are possible. I print. Right. It's like, here's the asterisk next to your name. Don't forget <laughs> that piece. <laughs> and how do you reconcile that? You know, you come to the world, you know, because I remember being young and thinking, oh my goodness, um, 
like being very young, understanding around about age five or six, what differences in color kind of meant and what that might mean for my future. And, you know, just figuring out how do you, how am I supposed to reconcile with this? And it's, it's, a, it's, you, it, you grow with it, right? Because there's really no choice for us. You have to continue to reconcile it. You have to continue to have the skill sets in place to be able to reconcile. So for me, it's a large part of that has been my faith. Um, I grew up in a Christian household. Um, um, you know, I would say I've tried my best to, <laughs> to adhere to that, but I've also allowed myself to be human. Um, and so, and so, you know, just having that grace and mercy, not only for others, but for myself, when things may not have gone hundred percent the way I thought they would go, but always continuously, you know, checking in on, um, and really just using my faith to continue to drive me forward. And so learning that early, I think is what continues to help me in every single season and every single transition. Um, because without that, I'm not sure how I would have kind of made it work. Um, also just recognizing when I need more than going to church service. Um, yeah. there, there's a period of my life where I had, I needed, um, to talk to a counselor and I did it. Yeah. Um, and it's important. I think, um, to, again, it's, it's being graceful with ourselves, right. Being, knowing that we're human and knowing that we don't have to do everything by ourselves. So not only do you have, you know, for me, not only did I have my, my family, you know, to the, to the best of their ability, even though, you know, what they could offer me is limited because again, I'm kind of like the black sheep, <laughs> but then having your friends who are kind of are that circle who are go-getters, but then also, um, you know, not only um, having the spiritual background and having church, but also recognizing like I did, you know, and, and allowing yourself to do that, recognize yeah. when you need to talk it out when you need an impartial or someone who might not, you know, know as much about you to really just kind of take a step back, help you take a step back, look at things objectively. Um, because, you know, when we are in ourselves, if I, I like to describe it, we sometimes we can't actually see the whole picture, right? When you're in it, right? You can't see all of the, the angles and the outside. Yeah. But someone else who had, and, and particularly someone else who has that, uh, who's in that profession, who's in the, the uh, psych psychology profession, in the mental health profession, in the counseling profession, they're trained to be able to do that. And so take advantage of that. I, I learned very early to do what I do best and outsource the rest. <laughs> oh, and, easy. And, yeah, I ain't suffering yeah, for nobody. <laughs> mm -hmm. And if I can't do it, then I need to seek out those who are trained to do that, and then and and get that skill and get yeah. those and get. And so I think that you know, for us as a people, though, I know we have a long way to go when it comes to, you know, definitely doing that for ourselves. And to be completely honest, it's it's understanding how it can be a little scary. But um, we have to think about how, you know, our community has structured itself in a way to kind of fill in the gap, so to speak. But now we're at a place, I think, uh, where we, we need to start to seek out those professionals and those environments that allow us to fill in those gaps more, um, I would say, more holistically. Yeah, yeah. So I appreciate it. And there's it. so many different things, yeah. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. I And in that vein, it also makes me think about, in addition to kind of like filling gaps, how do we begin to do things new? How do we start new, healthy traditions that honestly align with old cultural practices to bring about new, you know, generational healing? When we talk yeah. about like culturally responsive ways of responding to trauma and because honestly, being black in America is a traumatic experience. 
It really much is. So it really is. It it is carrying this daily trauma and generational stuff baggage, and and still learning how to excel and still hurt. You know, seeking out psychologically safe spaces and still creating for other people's benefit. Um, and still yeah. trying to live holistically well lives. And I'm like, God, just think if 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 just a, a modicum of the barrier was removed, yeah, how much healthier, how much you know more aligned and more, I don't even know the word I'm looking for, just at peace, mm-hmm. I think yeah. as a community, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I'm trying to get as many people abroad in a, in in areas that feel um that like they are growing and able to develop as people um and well thought out and planned as possible. Uh, yeah. I think that we give so much more to our community when they can also see that we all come from these similar environments and and social structures yet mm-hmm. you can be the one that you know, makes money and gives back or creates this new thing for a community to continue to thrive. It doesn't always have to be no shade against ball players and rappers, no shade mm-hmm. of any of that. You know, it's all beneficial, but there are different pathways for us to excel and still grow our community uh, understanding and love. Um, yeah. And so you are definitely... One of the people that I think of that's doing that work in real time. And I just, how how do you, what are like things that you do on a daily to kind of take care of yourself? Like, what does it look like to be well? Yeah. And that's a, that's a loaded question. Cause it can be really <laughs> tough. Um, and, and the two positions I've had abroad, um, not only do I have work while I'm in the office here, right? So I'm in the office, I do eight, nine days in the office, I'm sorry, nine, nine hours in the office. And then I come home and this has been in both of these positions that I've had. And then I'm on the phone, maybe a couple of hours, every, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, back to headquarters, right? And so that's a 12 hour day. Yeah. So for me, it has been, um, you know, re- I really had to develop healthier habits, particularly as I've been aging. Um, I didn't grow up with the best health habits eating wise. And so I really had to learn those. I had to learn what it meant to how to, you know, how to optimize my health in a way that would allow me to continue really to um, work at a very, very high level. <laughs> um, and so that meant, and, you know, really just incorporating things and changing things, um, that would allow me to, to live healthier. Um, you know, and that's the daily thing. Cause it's, I don't know if anyone is where they want to be, but <laughs> it's just a daily thing. And, and so just really taking a hold of that is, is number one. And it's not perfect, but as much as I can really just controlling, you know, just eating healthy, whether it's, you know, you're doing your green smoothies or you're, you know, you're sticking to your high protein, low carb, whatever it does you have to do to feel, to just feel good. It's really, really important, particularly as you go about about your day to day for me. Um, And then, you know, exercise, um, you know, just figuring out the way for me, it was riding my bike to and from work, you know, just what, what is it that I could do at a bare minimum to be able to move my body, to be able to keep it, you know, as, 
as as optimal as, as I could. And, you yeah. know, in terms of like knowing that my day, 10 to 12 hours, who's going to, I didn't have the time to do it in the morning, you know, maybe not having time all the time to catch a class in the evening, which is what I love to do, our group classes. Um, but, you know, what else can I do to at least get something in? So there's there's that. And then, you know, for me also is not only the physical, but the spiritual piece. Um, luckily, there have been um, churches in, in this location here and in uh, Hanoi when I lived there, um, you know, in terms of being able to go to services, in terms of being able to be connected to other Christians. Um, and so that's been really important and that's been possible so, you know, the because it's all pieces, right? And then just being able to have a community. When I was in Hanoi, um, I connected with a number of Black expats. We had a book club every month. And so we would take, yeah, oh, it was great. We took Born a Crime. We took Issa Rae's wow. book. We yeah. read um, all kinds of books. Charlemagne's book on his uh, pathway to mental health. And, you know, it was just so, it was just necessary and just, you know, very, very necessary and very, very nourishing to have that time. We would come together every month. We would, you know, bring food. Um, we would just talk about it. We would talk about how it relates to the experiences that we we're having, you know, in the workplace. And it was just, it was fantastic because it really was like therapy, to be completely yeah. honest. That was like an affinity um, group. Yes, yes, it really was. And so I'm actually trying to figure out how to do that um, again, because I know in my next location, I'm, I'm going to try to figure that out. But um, I'll help you out. Let me know. I can help you, know, you figure it out. Yeah, yeah. But really just figuring out those things to to continue to get the spiritual, mental, and physical, you know, as much as you can. No, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be, you know, there's still going to be challenges because, you know, work is, and living abroad can be a crazy, crazy lifestyle. Yes. But as much as you can, being able to focus in on those things and really just figuring out those tools and then how to continue to incorporate them and enhance them that to work for you. Right. I appreciate that. One of the things that I've been, I'm working on is, you know, as people make their plans to move abroad or kind of map out what life as an expat or immigrant, depending on, yeah. you know, their perspective, um, mm -hmm. student, you know, student traveler, whatever it looks like. I really want people to, while you're sitting and mapping out, you know, insurance, while you're mapping out housing, finances, you need to also have a bullet point on mental health. Like, yes. what does that look like to care for yourself mentally daily? Because there's right. so many different psychological stresses that are a part of this particular lifestyle that a lot of people don't understand. And I would say mm -hmm. one of the biggest ones, you know, with that adjustment is, is loneliness until yeah. you really are able to immerse yourself in a reciprocal, healthy aligned community and that does yeah. change often at least it has for me um mm -hmm. often living abroad you know there's a, I feel like there's a lot of disappointment that's involved in that as well because when you get to know people yeah know them know them sometimes you recognize like oh yeah maybe, <laughs> maybe this relationship or this you know ship isn't yeah. one that's going to help sustain me while I'm here or maybe only for a certain purpose and those mm -hmm. different difficult general like realizations to come to as you're in a space and you don't have many people to connect with um I'm I want to ask one more question related to like the kind of mental health aspect of things and this is for definitely from a parent perspective so yeah. without getting into too much detail about you know difficulties that have arisen in the city that we're in mm -hmm. um right 
as a parent of black children and we know the international schools here don't have a large population of black children or black staff mm -hmm. what does it look like to be that support when your kids might be experiencing their own psychological safety challenges at school, mental health challenges at school, exposure to people having mental health difficulties. Like how do you one, make that a priority and how do you take care of yourself as you're having to deal with those particular types of issues? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was just thinking about that today. Yeah. And I have, cause I have, so my, me and my children have been abroad since 2017. When we left uh, Maryland, uh, where I was living and working prior to going abroad, my daughter, who was my oldest, um, was nine years old. Wow. Um, she had just turned nine that previous October. So she wasn't even like nine and a half. And so and then my son was 20 months old. Oh, wow. So he doesn't even know what it is to go to school in the U.S. So I had my daughter in, you know, a Catholic school uh, prior to going abroad. It was very diverse because, of course, Maryland, right outside of the D.C. area or in the D.C. metro, they still call it, uh, is very, very diverse. And I remember, you know, having conversations with her and her saying, you know, mommy, why are people all different colors? And so... You know, she had, she was very inquisitive. She was very trusting though, too, when she was younger. Uh, and I was just thinking about that today. I was like, man, I wish I missed those younger days when <laughs> <laughs> she'd have to fact check everything I'm saying, but right. All that knowledge job. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And this generation, it's just, it's very, very, it's a lot. Right. Um, but it's a daily thing and it changes. So I would say now I'm at the point now that she's a teenager, my oldest, and now that my son, my son is still young. And so he's still very much in the learning phase and I'm still very much a, a strong voice for him. Um, but for my daughter, I'm now realizing that I'm going to need support. I need yeah. support. And I've sought that out, right? Yeah. I've sought that out because I think um, one, because I know of how that helped me when I allowed myself to do that. Um, I think it's that much more important for me to allow her as much as she's comfortable to be able to do that as well. And so, um, you know, and it, cause it's not only just being abroad, I would say, you know, even if we were in the States with everything I'm seeing on the news, I mean, I haven't lived in the U S more, you know, I haven't been in the U S more than a couple of months at a time since 2017, but for everything that I experience when I go back and for everything that I see, you know, remotely, I'm just kind of like, I yeah. think even if we were still in the U.S., I would be I, at this point in our trajectory and her trajectory, I would need support, you know. And and so I don't think it's I think that being abroad does have its um, different nuances to it. Um, but when it comes to the mental health space and the world that we are faced with now, with everything that we see on the news, with everything kind of happening in terms of like how safe or unsafe we are when we step out of our house yeah um you know it's i'm at a point now where i've realized that it is okay to get support particularly when you know when it comes to teenagers where i'm learning it's just it's a it's it's a it's bittersweet right because they're becoming more independent my daughter is so independent but at the same time because she doesn't need me i don't know uh I might not know everything I feel like I need to know. And maybe I don't need to know it, but someone needs to know. 
someone who's a trusted adult, you know, who has had certain experiences, I need to make sure she's be, she's able to check in with someone. If she doesn't want to talk to me because I'm the mom, that's okay. And and I think that's that's been hard to kind of reconcile with because yeah. I can be <laughs> I can be very like, well, why can't I just go this way? <laughs> right. But um but I'm realizing that, um, you know, I want the, the, uh, the ultimate goal for me is for both of my children as much as possible to be as healthy as they can. So if that means that I have to get support in order to ensure that that happens, that's what we do. Yeah. Um, on the other side of that, my son um, um, has learning support needs. And so I kind of reconcile it by saying, you know, if he's getting the support he needs in order to to be in a be a good learner, then why can't I just extend that to other aspects? You know, I don't, and I, 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 who knows what that is, right? So I don't, I'm not a mental health professional. And so I just don't know, but I, what I do recognize is the fact that there's support that's needed. So why not seek it? Yeah. yeah. I Listen, you have spoken such a word on that. Um, sometimes I wonder, especially for us as black women, that realization that we, I don't normally like to say we need to do this, we need to do that, but to keep thriving, to keep being able to give our best to everyone else, we have to disabuse ourselves of that notion that I can't accept help, right? I have to do it all by myself in order, I got to suffer through it in order to know that one, I'm worthy and capable and I'm doing a good job. And I just want us to recognize that it does not have to be that way, right? right? And I am grateful for you um, for sharing that and for, you know, understanding that as as a people, we thrive in community and community for us looks very different, you know, abroad and mm-hmm. to be open and paying attention to the shift, you know, in the yeah. way that we experience our lives and knowing that, okay, the tool that we need to be successful here might be different mm-hmm. than the tool that we need to be successful you know, back in the U.S. or in another country. So thank you for being open, right, to those Mm -hmm. possibilities. And it brings me to this, you know, particular question. How would you say, like, your need for safe, supportive community has changed as you ventured out into the world? Hmm. That's a good question because my circle that I've continued even into this space is very similar to what it was when I was, uh, when I was stateside. Um, my two very, very close girlfriends, um, one of which is in North Carolina, the other is in Monterey, Mexico as a foreign service officer. Um, still very much my go-tos. And I'm like, can you believe what happened to me at work today? When I, when I need to have that conversation, those are the two people I go to. Um, and that has, that has not changed. Um, and so, but that's, that's the piece I think is important as you continue to, you know, go throughout the trajectory is, you know, it doesn't have to be your network shifts right and so that's what you, I think you were describing earlier yeah when I was in Hanoi the network was the book club and everyone that was in the book club and we kind of made up even a Facebook page you know the black experience in Hanoi or black Ooh. experts in Hanoi are still there although that has changed because a lot of us have kind of you know moved on from Hanoi um but you know and then here it just turned out that my office was very very diverse and then I 
made it a point to increase that diversity. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, yeah. And so particularly with COVID, we really just made ourselves into a family. We really just hung out together. We really, you know, just came together, protected each other, checked in because it was um, during COVID days. That was some, that was crazy. Yeah. Were you here in Beijing? I was here in Beijing the whole time. I've been oh, in Beijing wow. since 2020. Yeah. And I have not. Yep. And so I've seen it all. And it was, man, at that point in 2022, it was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, but so I can't even imagine not have, not having, I've had, you know, because it wasn't just the fact that my community, I think what was great in Beijing is that my, it was work-based. And so everyone that I knew that was in my community was going through the same exact thing, not only maybe in my office, but definitely even within the state department. Right. Yeah. So it was, it was a very, very, um, it was very, I don't know how to even describe it. I just feel like it was ordained, right? Because I don't know without them how we would have all made it through. And we all say that, like how would we have made it if we didn't have each other through that crazy Listen, time? Marvin Sapson here, never would have made it. Like, <laughs> exactly. like people, it feels, it feels like, I think everybody has this particular type of COVID story wherever they are, but the experience here in Beijing was just so different than so many yeah. other places in the world. Um, something I hope we never have to repeat, yeah. like ever. Um, yeah. and I'm really happy that as a community, as a work community, that you all built that safe space for one another. Um, and then you know, share some of that joy with us as we began to do these Juneteenth celebrations. And exactly. yeah. um, so you know, tell me about. And we're, you know, we're nearing to a close, but as we, as we expand that understanding of community and sharing with the world cultural customs, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think I've told you already how I was just super impressed with last year's Juneteenth celebration. How mm -hmm. did, how do we do more of that, you know, to show the world that we are a fun, engaging, communal, creative, you know, mm -hmm. culture and people welcoming for sure um yeah. through like those types of activities that you all been able to do through the state department yeah and that was really a unique experience um it was that was just one of the best i would say it was it was a lot of hard work um it was a lot of convincing a lot of uh determination that went into that in terms of um, um pulling off that event but we just felt it, felt it was so important because, again, it was we were coming to a point where a number of us were getting ready to leave Beijing, and they actually have already. Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, we just we wanted to just take advantage of kind of where we were at the time, um, really just kind of celebrating the fact that Juneteenth is an independence holiday, and it is a federal federally recognized holiday. Federal but not only that, right. it has been for years. We've been yeah. celebrating Juneteenth for years. And so, um, you know, just to be able to be in an environment, because I really have to to commend um, my colleagues and leadership at the U.S. Embassy um, uh, here in Beijing for allowing us to, to have that space and allowing us to be able to um, really put a spotlight on the fact that Juneteenth um, is, is important. Um, it was just fantastic. And then everything just came together. Um, you know, how we continue to do these events and how we continue to really just spotlight 
Black history, how we continue to spotlight um, Black history as American history, it's just going to be a continued um, determination. Um, it's going to, it requires a collective. I'm not sure if we're, this year we're going to be able to do it again, because I'm not sure who's going to be around. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it's like, you got to take advantage of those opportunities when you have them, yeah. but it's just really just kind of, you got to continue to push, right? Because um, as much as the support we had, it was a lot of work. It was a lot yeah. of work and a lot of determination. Yeah. Um, and it it all paid off. It paid off in spades. Like it was amazing. The, <laughs> just from everything from vendors to just the energy was palpable, yeah. you know, walking in and being able to experience that. So I just want to ask you when you think of, this is my, like my last two questions. When you think of the next phase of life, right? Yeah. And what your hope for you professionally, personally, your children, just your life in general looks like, I wonder what comes to mind. Trust. Mm. I have to continue to trust um, that I'm on the right path and that our next steps will be as fruitful as the previous ones have. And that's a, that's a lot. It's a lot to even think about. We're on the horizon. I think of an upcoming transition. Um, to another part of the world. Um, and I think, to be honest, I'm really hoping and I believe that it will allow my children to develop a sense of confidence that they might not have been able to do here. Yeah, um, I know what that means. Mm -hmm. I feel that that will be possible at our next location. Um, but again, just getting there, it's a, it's a process. Um, and just continuing to believe that I'm on the right track, which I really do believe I am. Um, but it's kind of like to see it, to believe it. Right. Um, it's like in my heart, I believe it. Um, but then when it actually does become a reality is when I know that, uh, it will be confirmed. Right. And so just trusting the process, really just trusting that it'll work out, trusting that we're on the right path, trusting that this continues to be a, a good experience for them um and and really just working the process and and just continuing to have that faith that um uh that I'm going to go where I'm needed that I'm going to be able to make an impact where I am um and that there's no mistakes now I'm going to somewhere where I'm probably that they need me to be and so um and so I'll just take advantage of that and, and do the best that I can and, and continue to have the faith that um, not only will I get enriched, but then I'll be able to be someone who can support and help wherever I am as well. Yeah, I love that for you all. I'm hoping like wherever this, this transition does take you is one that continues the work that you're doing to continue the growth that you're making in your family. And I hope that we stay connected for sure. Um, so if you like, if you would like us to follow your journey, um, mm -hmm. would you like to offer how we can do that and stay connected with you? Yes, I would say um, definitely feel free to email me. Um, my email is vjshaw714 at gmail.com. So that's vjshaw714 at gmail.com. Um, anyone is able to send me an email, it might not have, I mean, uh, give me some time to respond. 
Life is life. Life is life. But I will see it and I will respond. And I'm always happy to share in terms of like how I got somewhere, like what I think about something. Um, you know, I'm gonna definitely also follow up with those um with those links on those State Department opportunities. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm happy to stay connected. Um, and I'm happy to circle back and 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 check in and let everyone know how it's going. Yes, ma'am. Listen, I am so grateful that you took the time to share your story, share your perspective, give us some really good nuggets of wisdom um, on the show today. And I also want everyone that's watching, as always, I want to express my undying gratitude for your you spending time with us, you sharing the message, you sharing in your communities. And we want to continue to encourage you to keep taking risks. That's literally a part of living this life, um, impacting your communities positively and above all, prioritizing your mental health. Please continue to share this in your communities. And with that, I'm going to say thank you, Vanessa, for such an amazing and impactful interview and everyone else for watching. Thank you all for tuning in and we'll, we'll bid adieu. Bye. Thank you.